Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. There should also be Bibles in your pew if you'd like to use that. And then, as always, our passage will be printed in the bulletin. Um, so while you're turning there, I just want to tell you, I've been in seminary for like four years now, and my classmates and I have kind of picked up on this pattern. Well, it's, it's not really a joke, but it's more of like a humorous observation that whatever class we're in, it doesn't matter if it's missions or practical theology or maybe systematic theology, without fail, we end up spending at least one lecture looking at Genesis chapters 1 to 3. And that's because Genesis chapters 1 to 3 do something incredible. They tell us the story of everything. It is the beginning of history. It is the on-ramp into everything. And so like any good introduction, what we see in the first three chapters of Genesis is we see the setting. The setting is creation. It's the beginning of history. We're introduced to the main characters. We're introduced to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit at work in creation. Then we're also introduced to us, people, Adam and Eve, humans who are made in God's image. And we're also introduced to Satan, the deceiver, the enemy, and he sets up the conflict, which is will you trust God or will you trust yourself? And Adam and Eve fail. Adam rebels and the world falls into sin and corruption. And so in the beginning of Genesis, we see three amazing things. We see creation, we see a marriage between Adam and Eve, and then we're introduced to a serpent. And so what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at what the Bible says about us, about people. Because in Genesis chapter 2, we get a picture of what it means to be fully human. So I have a friend who likes to treat his congregation to a sermon and a sentence. And so if we were to do that this morning, here's what I want you guys to know. Our sermon in a sentence is that God created you for community. That's what we're going to look at. So let's read from God's Word and ask Him to write its truths on our heart. This is Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. This is God's Word. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's word. He gave it to you because he loves you, and so you can know him. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, we really do ask that you would write your truth on our hearts. 
We ask that you would increase and that evil would decrease. Be with me now as I speak and encourage all of us with your spirit that as we look at your word, that we see more of Jesus. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that I tell our students, and they hate it, is that the Bible knows you better than you know yourself. Um, They really don't like that, but it's true. God's Word knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And so what we end up seeing in Genesis chapter 2, sometimes this passage gets used at weddings. Maybe you've been to a wedding where they'll use Genesis 2.25 as an example. But what we're actually seeing here is a depiction of what it means for us to be human in God's world. It's a depiction of what it means to be fully human. And so, Adam and Eve, who are made in God's image, they end up having this, a longing for community. Because you see, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a trinity. He's in relationship with himself, and we are made in that image. And so when Adam is created, he's created with a desire for community. And listen, I'm going to say the word community a lot of times. I'm going to say it a lot this morning. And this is what I mean, and this is what I think the Bible means when it says community. It means family, it means friends, and it means our neighbors. Um, And so this is how I want us to look through the lens of community this morning. I want us to see how our passage reveals the dignity of community, how it reveals the depravity of community, and lastly, the deliverance of community. So that's our three points for this morning. Deliver, or, <laughs> dignity, depravity, and deliverance. So first, what is the dignity of community? So if you look back at verse 18, this is what God says. It says, it is not good that man should be alone. And that's really important because just a few verses back, God is actually saying that man is very good. He finishes creation. He says, man is very good. This world is very good. If you've ever wondered what God thought when he created the world, he thought it was very good. And yet, something is not good. Adam is alone. But think about this. Is Adam really alone? Adam is in a perfect world. Adam is in relationship with a perfect God. He has a job. He's tending the garden. He's naming the animals. And yet, there is still something lacking. It's that he's alone. That he needs something. He needs to not be alone. And so this past week, I read an essay. Um, it's by a, it was by a college graduate. It was a, it was a young lady who was about to graduate from Yale. This was written about 10 years ago. Um, And this essay ended up going viral. It was read by well over a million people in the space of a week from over a hundred different countries. So the young lady's name was Marina Keegan, and she wrote an essay that was called The Opposite of Loneliness. And I want to read y'all the introduction to this essay because I think it's helpful for us. This is what she says. She says, We don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness. But if we did, I could say, that's what I want in life. What I'm grateful and thankful to have found at Yale, and what I'm scared of losing when we wake up tomorrow and leave this place. She goes on to say, this scares me. More than finding the right job, or city, or spouse, I'm scared of losing this web we're in. This elusive, indefinable opposite of loneliness. 
this feeling that I feel right now. What she's writing about is what our passage is telling us, that there is something in us, that there is something intrinsic to us about being humans that longs for community, that longs for the opposite of loneliness. And so Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. He says, Adam was lonely because he was perfect. Adam was lonely because he was like God, and therefore, since he was like God, he had to have someone to love. He had to have someone to work with, to talk to, to share with. Basically, what Tim Keller is trying to show us from our passage is that Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect, but because he's perfect. That means you're longing for intimacy, you're longing for relationship, you're longing for others is not sinful. It's actually part of the very good creation that you came out of. Think about it this way. All of our other problems, anger, um, anxiety, fear, cowardice, selfishness, all of those things are a result of our sinful nature that came from the fall. But loneliness, the desire for community, is actually the one problem you inherit from God because you were created in His image. You get lonely because that's the way you're made. You're made for something more. Think about it this way. If you were here last Sunday, why was last Sunday so life-giving? Well, it's because we as a church, as the community of God, got together, and we saw people that we haven't seen for months, and we talked to people that we haven't talked to in so long, and we did things like share a meal, we shared stories, we shared laughter, and what did we feel? We felt dignified. We felt human. This is what I'm trying to say. Think about the best moments of your life. What does it entail? It's always around other people. Like the best moments of our life is when you feel the most safe and the most free to be yourself with other people. And what I'm actually trying to tell you is that is theological. You are actually created. When you feel that feeling, you are feeling a very human, natural, and God-given feeling. Maybe think about it this way. When do you feel the least alone? It's usually when you're not thinking about yourself. Think about that. You feel the least alone when you don't feel the need to critically examine every thought, every word, every gesture, where you're sitting, who you're talking with, what you're saying. We feel the least alone when we are free to not think about ourselves. But the inverse of that is true also. When do we feel the most alone? When we are totally consumed with thinking about me. What that means is, when I'm consumed with thinking about me, I can feel utterly alone. Even when there are people surrounded all around me. Even in a place like this, we can feel alone. And so, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, what that means is, the Christian life, the height of the Christian life is not you alone with your Bible. And listen, I want you to be alone with your Bible. It's a good thing. God said this is a life-giving thing to go to His Word. It's a life-giving practice when we go to His Word and we see that we are called to community. When we go to God's Word, not trying to gain His pleasure, not trying to prove to Jesus that we're good enough, but when we go to the Word humbly and we see more of Jesus, and that reveals more of ourselves, and we see that we are meant 
for community. That's why Christ established the church. That's why we meet together on Sundays. That's why we get together. That's why we are called to share one another's burdens, because it is a human feeling. It is a human practice. We were created for community. So that's the dignity of community, that you and I really are created for things like friends and family and neighbor. That being created in the image of a triune God means that our longing for friendship, our longing for intimacy, our longing to be fully known and fully loved is the height of human experience. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is we see that creation falls into sin. The creation becomes corrupted, and what is meant to dignify us actually begins to hurt us. That community isn't always there. So let's look at the depravity of community. One of my all-time favorite episodes of The Office uh, is called Survivor Man. Uh, maybe you've seen it, but it's an episode where Michael Scott goes off into the woods, and it's just him and a camera, and he's going to try and survive the night on his own. And it's really funny, and so when Dwight drops him off in the woods, and he's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Michael, once he thinks he's by himself, he kind of turns to his camera and says, I am totally alone. It's just me and my thoughts. I can say whatever I want. And so he just starts yelling every absurd thought that comes out of his mind. But what ends up happening is his true heart comes out, He yells, I wish I'd gotten to go on the corporate retreat with Ryan. And you can see how sad and lonely he is. Look, this is what the depravity of community is. It's when we long for relationship, a relationship which is imprinted into us from creation, when we desire that. And it's meant to be life-giving. But because of sin and corruption, it ends up becoming life-taking. Look, what I'm talking about is rejection. It's that experience when, for whatever reason, you are deemed as unworthy of someone's time or energy. And so when Adam and Eve are joined together, what we read in our passage, when we see them joined together, it is total acceptance. They are completely accepting of one another. They are naked, which means that they are completely vulnerable. And then what we see is the first recorded words of humanity. It's when Adam rejoices over Eve, and he says, it's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam is completely focused on someone else, and we see the birth of community through the first family. And then in verse 25, it's amazing. There's no shame. There's no shame. Don't you long for that kind of community where you can be yourself and there is no shame? That desire is still present in each and every one of us. But the problem is we long to satisfy it from other sinful and broken people. And so when we long to satisfy our need for dignity, our need for community from other sinful and broken people, well, there's real shame. There's real pain and there's depravity and brokenness in our relationships. And so I learned a new term for this. It's the term JOMO, J-O-M-O. It's the twin to the word FOMO, F-O-M-O. And if you've never heard of FOMO, it stands for the fear of missing out. It's that experience you feel when you feel like the party is somewhere else and you weren't a part of it. JOMO, on the other hand, stands for the joy of missing out. Um, And some of you may know this about me, but my name is Tim. I am an introvert. 
So when I hear the term Jomo, I instantly understand it. Like one of my favorite comedians says, it is 100% easier to cancel plans than to keep them. And so we've all experienced this, right? Life gets incredibly busy. Like we are coming out of COVID and the calendar is already stacking up and there's more and there's more and there's more and we're getting busy again and we're kind of scared of it. But we're also excited because we're going to get to do all the things we haven't been able to do. But this is what happens. We desire community. So we make plans, then something better comes along, something that we deem is more worthy of our time. And we, what do we do? We make excuses, or we make justifications, and we say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that anymore. And listen, this is what I want you to know. To the other party, that is rejection. That was you promising life, you promising the human experience, and then not following through. So look, we talked about our best moments earlier. What about our worst moments? What are those? They're almost always connected to loneliness and rejection. It's what we've just talked about. When you think you can trust someone enough to be vulnerable, and then they break your heart. It's when you desperately need your community. You need your people to come around you, and they're nowhere to be found. It's when if just one person would notice me, if just one person would acknowledge that I exist, then I'd be okay. So we think about those memories, and it hurts, and it's painful. Look, that's the depravity of community. That we are intrinsically placed with a desire for others, a desire for community, but it's been corrupted by sin. And so what should be life-giving ends up taking life from us. And we feel that pain, and we feel that depravity, and we feel that loneliness, that rejection. It's embarrassing. We don't want to feel that way, but we do. So we're ashamed, and we feel unloved. So we've seen that community is meant to bring us dignity. It's meant to be the full and total human experience. But because of sin, community is riddled with depravity, and it hurts us. So what do we need? We need hope. We need deliverance. So let's look at how the Bible tells us that there is deliverance through community. So what we're saying is that if we are made in the image of a triune God, then we will only function rightly in community. Look back at our passage. Nothing in creation was right for Adam. Nothing was able to fix Adam. No plant, no animal, nothing. Adam's loneliness could only be fixed by another image bearer. Look at this. That's why God made Eve. Not because she was lesser, not because Adam needed help, but because what Adam needed help from was that he could not bear God's image on his own. He needed someone else. He needed community. And so Eve was fit for Adam because she is an equal image bearer. No animal, no part of creation is fit for Adam because none of them bear God's image. And so what the Bible is telling us is that it takes men and women to bear God's image, to make up the community that is intended for creation. That before the throne of God, men and women are equal in status, and they're also equal in responsibility with making God's image known to the whole world. 
Yes, there are different roles, but they share the same responsibility. So in one sense, it works, right? Adam and Eve are married, and their image, which is in the image of God, fills the whole world. Like, we're all here now. We're all children of Adam and Eve. But because Adam rebelled, because he did not trust that God was good, that he was who he said he was, humanity and creation are corrupted by sin. And so, yes, the whole world is filled with God's image, but God's image is broken. It's marred. It's full of depravity. And so all of humanity really does fall through one man. So what does God do to save his good creation? You know, the book of Revelation has really come into its own the past couple weeks. Um, Well, really over the last year, you know, people have been turning to the Bible to try and figure out what's going on with COVID or elections or Israel. And so if Genesis tells us how the story of everything begins, Revelation really does tell us how it ends. It really does show us what God is going to do to save his creation. So this is what we said about Genesis 1 to 3. Creation, marriage, and Satan. What do we see in the book of Revelation? It's the reversal. We see Satan, marriage, new creation. What we end up seeing in Revelation is that Satan, the enemy, the deceiver, the adversary, the evil one, the serpent, the dragon, is defeated once and for all. We see that there's a new marriage, but it's not a marriage between man and woman. It's a marriage between Jesus and his bride, his believers, the church. And so there's a new marriage for all of humanity. And then out of that, out of that marriage, out of his, the new helpers, the new servants, comes new creation, new Eden, new heaven, a new garden that consumes the whole world. It's the mission of the garden complete. This is what's happening. All things are being made new. That's our friends, that's our family, that's our neighbors, all of creation. Everything is being made new by Jesus. Do you know when that started? It started at the cross. It started when Jesus went and bore the penalty of sin for humanity. At his death at the cross, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, really did break into our reality. So listen, Jesus entered into this world as a man, but he didn't enter into this world as any man. It's what we read. He enters into this world as the last Adam. We read that Jesus is the last Adam. He is a life-giving spirit. All of us are born into the first Adam. All of us are born from the man of dust, born with a broken image, a broken humanity, a sinful desire, or dust. But in Jesus, we are reborn in the image of the man of heaven, and everything changes. Humanity falls through one man, but humanity is restored, delivered, saved through one man, the God-man, Jesus. And so look, this is what happens. When Jesus looks at you, he sees everything. He sees your sin. He sees your brokenness. He sees the pain of being in a community that is riddled with depravity. He sees your sorrow. And instead of rejecting you, instead of saying, do better, 
Get it together. Be my image more perfectly. No, Jesus looks at you and he says, I love you. I love you enough to go to the cross and to die for you and to give you and restore the image that is yours, to restore the image of God, the beautiful community. He gives you that. Look, Jesus says, I will die for you, I will deliver you, and restore your dignity. It's the only way to be in the community that we were designed for, to see that at the cross we are delivered, that in that moment, if you are in Christ, all of your sin is gone. It's gone. It is paid for. The penalty is satisfied. And in that same moment, you receive Christ's life, his perfect righteousness. All of our depravity is consumed on the cross. And so what happens is, what the deliverance of community is, is that it's not just that our relationships begin to change. It's that our actual identity changes. You see, in Christ, He secures our resurrection and there's no more fear of death. In Christ, He gives us His dignity. He takes our depravity. What that means is that the commands of God begin to become sweet. That what God tells us is life. What God says is, come to my community. That feeling, that longing, it's restored. And it becomes a gift once again. And listen, when you image God in the world, when you become God's image through Jesus, with his full righteousness, which is secured to you through Christ, the kingdom of heaven grows. The kingdom of heaven grows, and that is happening right now. That is happening today, that we are children of the last Adam. And we are helping to prepare the marriage supper of the Lamb in which all of the beautiful community is gathered together to feast, to celebrate new creation. We're part of that community. The community of God that is excited for eternity because we know that is what we were created for. We were created for a new community that Jesus secured for us through his death. It's ours. So this is how I want to end. Do you know that deliverance? Like, do you know that that deliverance is yours? That Jesus is the one person who will look at you and satisfy the longing. He will look at you and you will be fully loved and you will be fully known. That's who Jesus is. And he says, all you need to know is that you need him. He says, come to my community. It is a community of joy and healing. You were created for this community, the community that is the opposite of loneliness. Jesus is calling you to come. That's an invitation. Would you pray with me? Father, you created us for community. You created us for this community, the community of heaven that you are bringing about today, right now. Please help us to satisfy our longings in you, in Jesus who went to the cross to secure our eternity. May we come to you with repentance and belief and experience your grace again today for the first time, for the thousandth time. We ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.